sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace in the name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. So it was about 10 a.m. on December 14th. I was in one of my stubborn and lazy moods. I was technically working that day, but I didn't want to do anything. I was supposed to be doing paperwork, but instead I was playing Candy Crush. (laughs) I don't know if you all know, though I know some of you know because I've seen you on it. It's a game on your phone. I think it's a never-ending, mindless, soul-crushing game. It sucks millions of dollars from men, women, children, and pastors. And I still play it. So I was in the middle of one of these really important games when I got the text. It was from my priest from my home parish, Paul Fromberg. His text read, Call me. I want to uh, tell you about an exciting opportunity. I really did not want to respond to his message. The last time I got a message from St. Gregory's about an exciting opportunity, they asked to recruit me to be a greeter. (laughs) See, I was in seminary at the time, so I was leading worship service, and I was also running a young adult small group. And of course, as a seminarian... I thought I was too important and busy to be bothered with being a greeter. By the way, Megan and all, to all you other greeters know that it really is incredibly important work. I was just being a jerk. <laughs> anyway, I really did not want to interrupt my all-too-important Candy Crush game to find out what this exciting opportunity was. But guilt quickly took over. And I called him back. He picked up the phone and delivered the news that House for All Sinners and Saints was looking for a pastor, and was I interested? I was not prepared for this question at all. And to be honest, my first instinct was to say, hell no, and run far away. As flattering as the idea was, I was terrified at the thought of becoming your pastor. I knew a lot about this church, at least I thought I knew a lot about this church, and what I knew most painfully in my mind was that this congregation was started by a very 
charismatic, tattooed pastor who was now internationally renowned. And I only have one tattoo. One. I got nothing. But here I am, four months later, standing in this pulpit. And yet I am still afraid. I'm afraid because there's a part of me that wants to be the perfect pastor. I am surrounded in our culture by the pressure to find the meaning of my life in what I do and in doing that perfectly. And I have succumbed in the past to the idolatry of believing I had to do the best at whatever I do. In fact, about 10 years ago, I almost lost my life because I wanted to be the best professor in the world, even though that work was miserable to me. That's how important being perfect was to me at that time. I would imagine some of you can identify. Right now, you may be trying to be the perfect banker or the perfect mother or the perfect student. And you may be losing your life right now because of your own pursuit of perfection. You may be ignoring other parts of your life that are incredibly important because of your fear of not being perfect. I understand this fear. It's the same fear that told me to say hell no when I first got the call to come here. It was my fear of my own imperfection that kept reminding me that I've never been a parish pastor before. It was my fear that tried to limit me and say that God couldn't do anything new with my life unless I knew how to do it perfectly. And yet, I'm standing here before you today to say there is another path. And this path has brought all of us new life. A new life that exchanges perfection for grace and love. So, leading up to today's gospel reading, if you go back a little bit, you'll find that Jesus' followers were just like us in their need to be perfect. As the disciples walk the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, they constantly fight to see which one of them is the perfect disciple. They ask Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us can sit at your right hand and at your left hand? But Jesus repeatedly destroys their goal of wanting to be perfect followers. He repeats the same mantra along the road. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. If Jesus had Facebook, I think his status update would read something like this. You know those religious dudes who keep telling us we have to be perfect? Those perfect ones, they're going to kill me. But keep following me. There's more. 
And so the disciples keep following, but they also keep looking for that elusive perfection. So at the beginning of today's gospel reading, Jesus and his followers are approaching the gates of Jerusalem. In their time, Jerusalem was the place where the standards for perfection were hammered out. But right before they pass through the gate to this city of perfection, Jesus makes an odd request that tells us everything we need to know about how he thinks about perfection. So normally if someone was on foot, they'd just walk through the gates and go about their business. But Jesus asks his disciples to unbridle a colt, and specifically he wants a colt that has never been ridden. You know, in the context of my fear and uncertainty about this new position, when I first read today's gospel reading, I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud because I suddenly saw how the image of the unridden cult is a perfect metaphor for how Jesus overturns our idolatry of perfection. Now, I'm not exactly a cowboy. (laughs) Can you tell? (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that jumping on a colt that has never been ridden won't be smooth. Until a horse or donkey has been tamed, it'll buck and kick, often throwing the rider to the ground. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Making that noise. <laughs> so to his followers, Jesus' request for the untamed colt must have seemed totally crazy. With all of their preoccupation about perfection, and being the best, I'm sure they were wondering, why not choose the animal that's been tried before? But Jesus' choice for his mode of transportation reveals that he is completely unconcerned with being perfect. By riding on the colt that has never been ridden, Jesus undoes any attempt to make this a triumphal powerful entrance into Jerusalem, that city of perfection. So why has the church tended to celebrate Palm Sunday, the beginning of this week we call Holy Week, as a royal, kingly display of power, when instead it seems more like a low-budget rodeo? Because we, like the crowds, still don't get it. We still think we need perfection when what we really need is a Savior on a cross. Palm Sunday shows us how easy it is to slip back into thinking we need to be perfect and that others need to be perfect. Even with Jesus riding on this radically imperfect and untrustworthy animal, the crowds still cry out for a king to rescue them. Hosanna, this word that they cry, actually means rescue me. And David, 
of course, was the model for the perfect king. So I think we can translate their cries more accurately as son of David, embodiment of perfection, rescue us. So it is precisely because of their cries for a perfect king that Jesus knows they still need the cross. And because we too still cry out to be perfect pastors and parents, perfect sons and daughters, and perfect teachers and social workers, Jesus knows that we too still need the cross. Jesus knows we still don't get it. And Jesus knows that relating to God and to each other through the perversion of perfection will kill us. So Jesus gets on a wild, untamed donkey and rides through the crowd. The crowd full of our desperate need for perfection. And he carries it all to the cross. Jesus carries all of it and all of us to the cross because he knows it is the only way for us to be truly healed. By falling headlong into the most cursed of human experiences, Jesus knows that this is the only way for us to experience new life. So for me, standing here, having been here only a week, the bad news is that there's no way I can be the perfect pastor. And there's no way you can be the perfect mother or the perfect teacher or the perfect computer geek. We're not even guaranteed moderate success. No day of our life am I or you guaranteed anything but the grace of God. And that's the good news, too. I am not your savior. Nadia is not your savior. Brian is not your savior. You are not your savior. We don't have to depend on our own perfection or anyone else's perfection. Because God has saved us from this bondage of perfection. By going as deep as possible into our imperfection. And nothing can destroy that. Thanks be to God.